Hi, I'm Ellen Sentier, the Heartful Badass Coach. Being badass is about being the real you, being strong, feisty, confident, knowing your own truth and walking it, feeling the fear and doing it anyway, with a heart full of joy and boundaries that really work. I learned how to be the real me through telling and writing stories, and now I'm a best-selling author as well as a badass psychotherapist and coach. I tell stories a lot in podcasts and blogs and in the coaching programs I do. Being authentic, living your own story, that's being the real badass you. And being real badass is being full of heart, caring. Because we've lived through all that shit, haven't we? So we know it in our bones and we really do truly feel compassion. So come on. Let's do some badassery. Let's change ourselves and watch the whole world change around us. Let's make our lives, our businesses and our hearts sing. Had a really interesting experience through a friend yesterday. Rather stopped me up from what I was hoping to do, which was send off the sales notices what do you call them when you it's the offer notices for the get connected course which I'm doing right now and I'm doing that today but the event yesterday stopped me up so sorry if you're waiting for that but I hope you'll be interested in what actually happened and what my friend and I were thinking about it so what did happen well, Kim comes around and helps me in the garden and we do some work together and things like that. And then we have lunch. So we were sat down having lunch, uh, sort of about a quarter of the way in, and her phone rang. Oh, I've got to take this, she says. So she pops into the next room and takes it. And it sounds serious. You can tell by somebody's energy, you know, their voice, how serious it is. So she came back and said, I'm just going to have to eat and rush off, you know. So I said, oh, what's happened? And so she said, well, you know my friend, Fred, say, um, and who, who I do. I don't know him, but I know about him. She said, well, he was, he was taken bad a couple of weeks ago, and he was in hospital, and they were hoping he was mending, but he's deteriorating rapidly, and I've got to go. And so we were talking about it. She said, I, I really don't like the idea of him being there in hospital on his own, going through this, and dying on his own because he finds it difficult he's one of those people who are not really very happy with death they sort of are in a way and they're sort of not too and of course he's scared as many people are very scared so Kim said I must go in there and help now she really means help because Kim is a psychopomp she's a dead walker and she helps people pass over and she's very good at it. I know about this kind of job because I've got that job too. I don't do it as often as Kim does now. I used to, but now I don't seem to be called on it so much. But Kim is really called on it quite a lot. And she's very good. So packed her all up, popped her in the car, and off she drove. So hour or so later, I sort of just sent her a quick WhatsApp. How's things? And she said... Well, it's interesting because he, he popped out of his body and he had a look at his body 
And now he's just back there, but he's breathing much more easily now and seems a little bit more settled. So she stayed with him. And when I went to bed, sort of about half tenish, I gave her another WhatsApp and said, how's things? Hoping in a way, for her sake, that she wasn't still in the hospital. She wasn't. She got home. She got home about a quarter of an hour earlier. And she got home and got the phone call. He's gone. And so I just wrote back and said, oh, I'm so glad. Well done, him. That's really great. And, you know, you're wonderful too. Thank you, Kim, for being there with him. Because he really needed it. That doesn't sound like most people when they go to visit someone who's dying, does it? Well, maybe it does to you because maybe you're one of those. But it's what actually happened for us. So this morning we were talking about it. And so often the people in the room with the person who's trying their best to die or not or scared to death but knows they've got to do it anyway, maybe in right, a bit of a right mess, you know how I mean, that they're afraid. They're also they're worrying about their relatives and looking at their relatives who may be weeping and gnashing their teeth. So the whole concentration of the poor person who has the job of dying is not on the job. It's actually on the people around them, the relatives, the weeping and wailing, poor, miserable, terrified, horrified relatives. Yeah, you're getting the point, aren't you? You're getting that I'm not really that sympathetic to these relatives. Well, I'm not. Because their grief and their wailing and their loss is about me, is about them, it's about me. Because I'm feeling bad. I don't want to lose them. I shall be so miserable when they're gone. I don't really want to lose them. How am I going to live without them? It's going to be awful. You know, no parents, friends, children, dogs, cats, whatever, should ever die because I can't bear it. Because I can't bear it. Yeah, that's the point. This weeping and gnashing of teeth and showing of emotion and all this kind of stuff is so often it's not about the person doing the dying. It's about their own feelings. And that's wrong. I'm sorry, that is wrong. You don't dump that on the person with the job of dying. You can feel it. You can feel it later. But, oh, let's take a little instance. Um, your kid's fallen down and, and got a bad cut on their leg. Do you worry about how you feel and how awful it is and that sort of thing? Or do you worry about mopping them up, cleaning them up, cleaning the cut up and putting a band-aid over it or something like that? Personally, I'm of the latter. I'll pick the kid up and, you know, come on, you're okay. Let's have a look. Let's see what you've done. Yeah, let's clean it up. Yeah, this is going to sting a bit. Come on. Yeah, we've got to do it anyway. And here's a Band-Aid now. Are you feeling better? Do you want a drink? Okay, let's go out. All that's helping the kid who's fallen over. Me weeping and gnashing my oh, what have you done? Oh, you've got your knee cut now. What am I going to do? And you didn't have to do that now, did you? Because I've just got the washing up to do or something. And you've got your clothes all dirty and you've got blood everywhere. Who's that about? It's about you, isn't it? 
And the same thing goes with death. Unfortunately, nowadays, people are scared of death. People are worried about it. We're all told advertising, belief systems, creeds, whatever else it is you've got. The worst thing that can happen to you is you're going to die. Well, yeah, that's a bit unfortunate really, isn't it? Because we're all going to die. So the worst thing that can happen to you is definitely going to happen to you. Um, So you're going to live your life with that hanging over you? Personally, no. This is the thing about the old ways, because we know death happens. We know everything and everybody goes through the cycle, the process of death. And then all their physical atoms go back into the earth and become a rabbit, a cabbage, another human being, whatever. And their spiritual atoms move on, their soul their spirit, that moves on and maybe goes into, you know, a bit of recuperation and downloading their life or uploading their life, I should say, onto, you know, the big server in the sky and talking through with their Tuluis, their spirit group, well, you know, that wasn't bad, I did that quite well and damn, I never did do that, you know, in the end did I. And maybe having a rest and a couple of t- cup of tea and maybe a lie on the beach up there or whatever it is you do. And then, right, well, you know, okay, that was a good holiday. Now, what am I going to do next? And so the spirit then sort of moves in with the help of all your friends and relations up there, your Tuluas, your spirit relations. They may or may not be your physical relations down here, but your spirit relations. So you get to chatting with them and you set off on your new job. Okay, you died. And the people down here missed you. Hopefully, you've got enough people to miss you. It's nice when you have. I've had a lot of experience with death. My mum died when I was about three. And because I come from a family that practiced the old ways for generations and generations, I was not kept out of it. I was not kept away. I was involved in it the whole time. And because of that, I learned a lot. But not only that, I didn't suffer from the same sorts of trauma that many people do. And yes, and I still in some ways miss my mum, but that was this life. That was okay. And I went to the funeral with dad. I remember standing there by the graveside holding his hand. I looked up and said, Dad, Mum's not in the box, is she? And he went, no, darling, she's gone home. She's better now. Mum died of cervical cancer. She's better now. She's at home and she's looking down on us and she feels fine. So we'll miss her because she's gone. But it's okay. Mum's okay and we'll be okay. To me, that's a great thing to say to a kid. And it really helps with this whole mess of dying that we've got ourselves into in this sort of civilized modern world with no superstitious beliefs and all this kind of shit. Dear, we've lost so much because we've made everything small. 
and we've got to prove everything to our tiny little minds, as though our tiny little minds could handle a whole universe? Oh, come on, give me a break. Of course it can't. So we use analogies and we work through with those. And sometimes we say, I see it's happening and I can feel it, but I can't really get my head around it yet. That's okay too. And death seems to be one of those for modern man, as they say, modern human. It isn't. Death is fine. Death is part of the process. Death is actually a rebirth into your spirit world, our spirit world, other world as we call it. And then, as I say, you have a bit of a holiday and you sort out your next job and you're sitting there, you know, having a drink, rubbing your hands, saying, hmm, that sounds a pretty juicy life. I'm looking forward to this one. And then you make all the arrangements with your parents-to-be, which we all do, actually, even if we don't remember it. And you get yourself born and you have the life. And you leave it again. And this goes round and round and round. This is what happens. But because we're all afraid of death, because loss is so terrible and I can't possibly bear it and, you know, nobody's husband, children, wife, lover, whatever, should ever die because I can't bear it. And we're encouraged in that idea. When you really think about it, is it really a good idea? Because you're making misery for yourself. You're telling yourself you're supposed to be miserable. You're supposed to be crying. It's supposed to be awful. Working as a psychotherapist and later as a coach, I've talked through with people this kind of thing when they've lost, had a loss like this. When someone has died, let's not say when they've had a loss, because it's then it's all about them again. But when someone has died and they have felt very deeply about it, and very often, you know, very often they've said, actually, I knew it was okay. I had a chat with a client of mine, oh, last year, late last year, about about suicides it was and when he was a, a young man just out of teenage I think might even have been still a teenager he lost his best friend his best friend committed suicide and his best friend committed suicide because he was very ill and the doctors didn't know how to help him and the government had told them all these rules and regulations they had to follow and that if he didn't fit in this box then he didn't fit in this box for this kind of support or that kind of medication or whatever kind of help and he was a poor ordinary laboring sort of person's poor family what am I going to say they hadn't got much money they didn't live anywhere posh. In fact, they lived somewhere pretty bad for most of us. And they had no one to help them. And he had no one to help him. And he was just feeling physically worse and worse. And mentally worse and worse. 
and he wasn't getting any kind of help at all. And he got to a stage of saying, I can't do this anymore. And he hanged himself. And my friend, of course, was very upset, especially being young and relatively inexperienced and not having had the spiritual background that I've had. But even then, he knew that his friend was in a better place. He missed his friend like hell. They had been really close, you know, blood brothers kind of thing. And he really, really missed him. But even so, he knew he was better now than he had been when he was still alive. It's made him very angry, and it's made him very angry with just about any government because a lot of the problems that happened occurred when you went right back to the roots of it because of government, of the haves and the have-nots. And we have that government now, but I'm not going into politics any more than that. But he still wasn't sure how he was supposed to think about it. Now you hear those words I said, how he was supposed to think about it, how other people told him was the proper way, the right way to think about it. And yet, inside, in his heart, he knew the right way to think about it. The right way to think about it was that his friend was okay, that he could miss him like mad. He could beat up cushions and get drunk and walk over the moors and all that kind of thing. But that was his grief, and he knew that in his heart. I just loved that. And do you know one of his problems? Why it is still hurting? Because he'd had nobody to say that to until he met me. Everybody else said, oh, how awful, how dreadful, your friend should never have done it, she should have been stopped. No. You're going to stop somebody from making their life better, from making their future life, their etheric life, from making themselves feel better? Well, you mean bastard then if you're going to stop that. But he didn't have anyone to say it to because of the modern attitude to death. That we're supposed to weep and wail and gnash our teeth and stop it happening if we possibly can. But I don't do that. Kim doesn't do that. Kim is what the Greeks called a psychopomp, a leader through death. Someone who helps you pass. Someone who walks you over the bridge. And I do that job too. Actually, several of my past students do it. And it's so important because in our modern fast-paced life, says using all the latest sales crap speak, in that life, we're told that we have to stay alive. We have to stay looking 15 when we're 55. We have to do all this kind of stuff. That getting old is bad. So we get all these creams and operations and Botox and all that kind of stuff to stop ourselves looking like we really are. Mind you, you don't have to go around with wrinkly skin and warts and everything else. Uh, I'm 75 and I don't look like that. 
But we don't have to be afraid of death. We need to accept it, that death is our friend, not our enemy. Death is helping life happen. And we desperately need to get to that state and to stop weeping and wailing in the sick room or the death room when the person is dying and get in there saying, it's okay, mate, I've got you, I've got your hand, you know, I'm still here. Come on, you can do it. It's great. You can do it. It's all right. As Kim did. Maybe not out loud, but she was with him all the way. Because she can see. My students can nearly always see. In fact, one of them sort of did more through hearing and touch, but we all, and we know, we know we're with the person. We're connected to that person as Kim was. And she helped him over the path, over the bridge. She helped him pass. We need to do that, you know. We need to change our attitudes to death. We need to get connected to death as well as life so that we can connect properly and truly to each other and really go for it. So how about it, people? Should we all get connected to death as well as life and see them as two halves of the same coin? They are. You can't have one without the other. And we'll talk about that more another time. So that's it for this time, folks. And I will see you again in the not-too-distant future, possibly even next week, if I can get my act together and do you another one. That's partly what happens if life works out for me and I get a really interesting thing to chat about. Then I'll chat about it with you. So take care for now and I shall see you all next time. Well, hey, I hope you enjoyed that. Hope it pulled out some new ideas and new ways of looking at life, the universe and everything. And I'd love to know your comments, so do send them to me. Doing and being badassery is fun. It makes your heart sing. And that helps everyone. And it helps you put the soul back in your life and in your business. Business, when it's really working, is fun, full of badass reality and makes your heart sing. So let's stick all those rubbish old work ideas of toil and drudgery in the compost caddy. Let's recycle them into something fun and useful. That's what badassery is about, having fun and being useful. If you'd like more, get on my website, www.ellensentier.com. Sign up for my newsletters and check out my lives and vlogs. Let's get to know each other. Let's get together, have fun, grow your life and make your heart sing. Let's be real. Come on, let's light our fires. <laughs>